Um, so would you, womanist theology, would you put that in a category or at least like very connected with like the bigger umbrella of liberation theology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, womanist theology especially, um, and uh, we honor Dolores Williams this evening, today, mm-hmm. um, as well, a, a mother of, uh, of womanist theology, specifically Christian theology, um, for sure is a part of, uh, if you will, the umbrella of liberation theology, or, or, or is, 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 is under the umbrella, if you will, of liberation theologies, um, in most folks, um, uh, way of framing these sorts of things. She, she um, was a student of James Cohn's um, at Union oh, Theological Seminary. Yeah. And, um, and, and certainly stands on her own and is a, um, is a giant in, in terms of intellect and in terms of the direction that she cast for, uh, for uh, womanist theology. Whereas uh, for James Cohn, um, not only an appeal to the ontological blackness of Jesus, but to the necessity of blackness for true Christian discipleship. Um, that that that's like part and parcel of where where he calls um, and and to what he calls, um, and that because um, of the fact of Jesus as a first century first century Palestinian. Right. Um, uh, who was in his in his estimation, therefore black, black in experience, black in suffering, black in 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 terms of identity and and the similarity of that kind of experience to the experience of people of African descent in the United States and around the world. For Dolores Williams, yes, there's still a concern with liberation, but while the Exodus story is important for James Cohn and uh, the suffering of Jesus on the cross is not completely abhorrent to James Cohn um, and, and to, and to others who are thinking in an earlier liberationist terms. So for instance, um, uh, the, the work of Latin American liberation theologians like uh, Gustavo Gutierrez also thinking about the Exodus um, in part um, along with many other uh, passages and 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 um, and uh, and frameworks, if you will, but but in contrast, Dolores Williams is saying, no, we need to pay attention to Hagar. Right? Um, Hagar, the uh, this the enslaved woman who was asked to be a surrogate mother, who wasn't who was forced really to be a surrogate mother. Uh, for uh, Abraham and Sarah, and 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 so beginning with a story of liberation from Hagar is a, a paradigm shifting sort of um, s- sort of starting point. And for her, uh, it's not a question of uh, of Good Friday or even um, or even uh, the celebration of. Uh, of Resurrection Day Sunday, but it's the ministerial life of Jesus, which yes does perhaps lead through suffering, but shouldn't. 
And when we cultivate what, what is best in this world, no paths should lead to, um, to human, human, uh, human forms of suffering caused by other human mm -hmm. Uh, humans. Yeah. Right? So yeah. what would you say, yeah. like, for those listening who maybe haven't opened up the Old Testament lately and haven't read the story of Hagar, would that be something we would want to talk about, explore that story a little bit? Because I know there's plenty of people who have also grown up in the church and heard, you know, in the white Protestant church who might be interested to hear the womanist interpretation of it. Yeah. So, okay, go ahead. No, that'd be good. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Cool. So, um, so, Hagar um, uh, is the mother of Ishmael, and uh, Ishmael is uh, is is later um, accepted as part of the lineage of uh, Muslim followers of kind of the Abrahamic path, if you will. Um, often that that's Ishmael is seen as part of that line, if you will. Uh, but but she met she, she met God. In an extraordinary way, she was a an Egyptian slave to Abraham and Sarah, um, and we would recall that um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, precede Moses and the Exodus story, um, and precede uh, Joseph, who had a great relationship with with Egypt. Uh, but uh, but after many generations, there were those who did not know. Um, Joseph, and so the people of Israel come into a condition of slavery um, in in Egypt um, that they uh, that they live out for a long time. Um, finally, Moses um, is um, is of course given the mission, if you will, and and strengthened to to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. But Abraham, understood as the the father, if you will, of the faith, he. He marries Sarah. They get old. They can't have children. Sarah says, um, hey, have a child with, um, with Hagar, our Egyptian slave girl. And, um, and then that will be a way of, of uh, raising the seed, if you will, raising the, um, the lineage, because it has been promised to Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And uh, if anyone's been paying attention, um, there were a lot more um, discovered. I have scare quotes around that today. <laughs> but um, Abraham impregnates Hagar. Hagar has Ishmael. Um, there are better, better storytellers, Piper. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and, and not long after um, Ishmael's been born, Sarah also conceives, and Sarah conceives unexpectedly in her old age after um, some, some angels visit her and let her know it's going to happen. And once she conceives and bears Isaac, there is a great deal of tension between Isaac and Ishmael and especially between Sarah and Hagar. And Sarah says to Abraham, you got to get Hagar and Ishmael out of here. And so Hagar and Ishmael... Hagar, especially feeling the tension, um, responds and ends up in the wilderness, and you know pushes off away from um, Abraham and Sarah. Now, while in the wilderness, um, she encounters God, and 
encounters God and it's uh, Jehovah Roah, the God who sees. This becomes one of the ways that as the names of God are being consolidated, we understand um, as part of the name of God and the naming of God um, and uh, that kind of monotheistic thrust, um, this name is incorporated into it and it's an Egyptian woman who has received this experience, this encounter with God and and been part of the naming of God in this way. And it's the God who sees because God responds to her in, in the wilderness and says, hey, I, I, I see you and you see me <laughs> and I know you're out here in the wilderness. I know the situation sucks. Uh, I know you've got Ishmael, but there's something great for him too. And I'm going to take care of you. Um, this might not have been the way you wanted to have any children. This might not have been the condition um, an, an ideal condition in any way, shape, or form. You are probably angry and hurting and not knowing what to do and have come into the wilderness, in fact, to die. But God has something for us. And, and that's why uh, for Dolores Williams, in part, um, although I, 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 I regret that I've not done better with the description of this story, but, but the title of uh, her seminal text is Sisters in the Wilderness because we are Hagar's. We are Hagar's who have borne children um, physically and, and spiritually and emotionally in, in ways that we didn't intend. Um, we have born um, ideas, thoughts, words, books. Uh, we've born families um, in, in ways that uh, were sometimes by force, uh, were often by necessity. And we have discovered a sisterhood in the wilderness, even when... Um, those who could have cared, who should have cared, who should not have exploited, but who did? Um, when, when, even when we have, our bodies have been used as surrogates, and she talks a lot about the problem of surrogacy for black women, but when our bodies have been used as surrogates um, for bearing things for other people, even still, um, the divine meets us there. We see the divine, the divine sees us, and we're able to continue on um, and, and find community in that space. Mm. That's good. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, this is good. And it's, it's tough to hear too. And I, I mean, as the, the straight white guy at the table, I mean, this is, I'm obviously the, you know, the one who can never fully understand this in the ways in which y'all, y'all can, and specifically you, Dr. Leith. I, but I, I am curious, like, what is it, what is it for you for somebody of, like like myself, for instance, um, who uh, liberation theology in all of its complexities, but specifically when it comes to this, um, when it comes to womanism and these this querying approach, how how does someone like myself stand in solidarity in a way that's not cliche, that it's not Facebook like this, share this, which I don't want to downplay because I think social media is good and that is a voice, but um, yeah, how how can someone like, like me be a, a partner, if you will, mm-hmm. if, if that's possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Language that I've um, enjoyed recently has uh, been uh, that of accomplice. Um, I'm, yes. I'm looking for accomplices, if you will. Okay. Um, Is and, it specifically accomplice over ally? Like you'd rather have an yeah. accomplice? In, in some ways, yeah. 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 Because, I mean, really, the, I, I mean, I think right now in our society, assimilation is really dangerous. It's dangerous for all of us. 
and uh, and and we need people who are willing to courageously, self-critically um, challenge the powers that be. And it's hard because really the ask is is irrational. It's will you please throw stones in a glass house with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we all know what comes of that. But I, I mean, it's what I would say is really simple and really complex. So the simple way is this: I would start here. Go. Go out of your way. And by the way, everything I'm saying is something that uh, it, it, it's it, there's a, the beauty in it is it's something that I do, too. Um, it's, I'm not I wouldn't ask anything of anyone else that I that I wouldn't ask of myself. So um, and, and, and this is this is no different. But go. The first ask is that we go out of our way to. Listen to the experiences, the voices the truths of people who are the least, quote unquote least, the vulnerable, and especially from a womanist and queer perspective of African descent and in, um, in queer, queer identity, sexual orientation, gender identity, to be more precise. So again, the, the very first thing is listening to and, and, and seeking out the, the studies, the research, the, the histories of, 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 this com- of, of these communities, of these people. And, and I say that that's my task too, because, you know, yeah, my experience matters to womanism. And there's a way that I, I have to come into it as myself. Um, I've quoted her many times tonight, but one more time. Um, Katie Cannon, uh, as I was writing my dissertation, she um, asked me at, at one point, um, so, but why is, this, why is this topic important to you? Why is it something you need to write? Why is it your topic? Um, I was writing, I did write about the intersection between childcare providers um, and, and, and specifically their their work as childcare providers, their faith and their activism as they pushed for better working conditions in a um, in a um, in in a uh, struggle and um, and period of protest between 2005 and 2009 in New York and and and, and so it, it was an important question because this is this is not so much my community right but there are ways that I connected to and through it. And and even personally, right? But but that is an essential question that I had to ask myself, that had to be asked of me, and that each of us has to ask of ourselves. And um, you know, why do we do the work that we do? How do we connect to it? And two, you know, just because I'm black does not make me an expert on blackness, nor an expert on race. Um, nor an expert on racism, right? I mean, and then I could the list could go on, but each of those three are distinct. And, and, and so the first step 
to be an accomplice is to say that my area of interest for study, for knowledge cultivation, for, for deepening in awareness is that I engage sources that are by and about and will deepen my understanding and appreciation of black and LGBTQ culture, right? That's the first step. Now, if that wasn't simple enough, then the next part is, is, is simpler. Just do these things. Like the, the, the way the definitions are laid out, um, again, they are inviting. And so like love music, love dance, love the moon, <laughs> love spirit, love love, love food and roundness and, and struggle, love folk, love yourself, herself, herselves, regardless. I, I mean, but also remember that that definition comes after a preceding one that is very much, again, about, about a pursuit of freedom and a pursuit of diversity and, and one that privileges and, and, and is not those things in a kind of neutralized, sanitized way where we just say, let's go for diversity, let's go for freedom. They are visions of freedom and diversity that begin in and out of and through an appreciation and awareness and a first posture point of orientation of black culture and experience. So remembering that like our ideas of freedom at this table are going to be different because our experiences of unfreedom are different. That's why, for instance, Black LGBTQ people did not care so much or in the same ways about marriage equality. Right? Because that's not where unfreedom has been experienced. Not primarily. Right? And, and, so, um, and so, again, simple, simple um, response is learn these cultures <laughs> to the best of your ability through study, through, uh, through relationship building. Um, and then, and then follow the definitions uh, with respect to the methodology that they they commend. That's that's the simple way, but the but that's that's actually not so simple, because it, it requires a kind of it requires um, a reorientation, a dramatic reorientation. I mean, we like what we like, and especially at, at when we get older, we we really like what we like. I mean. If you're like me and you just love watching Columbo, you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, it might be difficult to, to switch out Columbo for, um, for Atlanta. It might be, um, you know, and that's just, just, just one example, but, but there are ways that our, our, our desires, our likes, our wants have already been cultivated in our adulthood such that a reorientation around different cultural interest and, and to spend our free time and our love of culture around cultivation of a, an appreciation of a different culture, that's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, I think that we've, you know, we've cultivated an environment, at least within our brew theology community, to where we have all these um, ridiculously amazing topics and speakers and uh, such, such particulars to the point of where we wonder, well, what's next? Well, what's next? But I, I do think that at least we have an environment that says, no, that's interesting. Like, even if it's like not someone's thing, like people will pursue it. So um, it, it's having the time to do it, I think. Yeah. 
because it's such this ADHD culture and I'm already ADHD by the way. And so now it's You're like, what's, alone. yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, every, every, you know, five days, like what's the next big thing. And so you had, I mean, how do we deal with that too? When it comes to in the news media that we have, I mean, we're bombarded with so many big social justice issues and to, to stick with something like this. I mean, like that's what's, what's the trick in doing that? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, I, I mean, oh, it's so tough. It's, it's a, I, I think it's a spiritual discipline. I think watching it is the a, news? <laughs> or not watching the news, not watching the news, not, um, not being on Facebook, you know, I, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I see the value of social media. I mean, we, we wouldn't be together. We wouldn't be sharing an audience in this, in, in this way. If People it will find more. out about this through social media. Yeah. Right. There you go. So, I mean, it's clearly important, but you know, so I think that part of it is spiritual discipline, but also part of it is calling. Um, I, I think that um, I'm willing to accept that we are not all called to do the same thing. Um, and we need people who have diverse kinds of expertise, uh, who have spent some time um, uh, studying what's happening at the border as much as they have studied what happened in and through the Underground Railroad. Um, we need people who have cultivated you know, a both and sort of approach. We also need people who can and do go deep. Um, I mean, there there are people who just write on only the Underground Railroad in Philadelphia. That is how they have honed in, and that that is their contribution. That is their call. That is their purpose. So ultimately, I think that. It's first a, a, a spiritual ask, you know, of, of the divine, if, 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 you, if you do appeal to a supreme being, if, if you will, but, but perhaps of your ancestors and, and of, of what is required to make some things right with respect to some of the ancestors, um, because we have diverse ones. <laughs> um, and it's just true, all of us do. Um, and, and, uh, and, and then some of us, we, I mean, we, we just need to go inside um, and, and to uh, reach what Howard Thurman might call that inward altar, right? That, that space within oneself where you are fully yourself and you understand your, your purpose in life. And, and then I think that that clarifies um, how you, how we each are called to um, participate in this lifetime, uh, and and what what we can do with this thing we call life, uh, and 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 so I think again, first it's a it's a discernment of you know what am I here for? Why am I here? And then I think it's a spiritual discipline to fall.
follow that through. And that's where, I, I mean, I, I know some things that I'm, I'm meant to do on earth, but I mean, I have difficulty disciplining myself to do those things. And so, you know, not everyone is going to be able to stick to the definitions of womanism. Not everybody is going to be able to reorient themselves completely around a different way of, of thinking about their own culture or in integrating other cultures or reorienting around another culture, if you will. Not everyone can do that. But, um, but we can all seek within ourselves. What is the thing that makes me fully myself? And, and what is the thing that will connect me to others around me in ways that, um, that, that mm, bring balance? Um, bring balance and bring freedom and honor diversity. Um, and, and then, and then of course, again, the task of, of just developing spiritual disciplines that help us to kind of honor it. I, and I, I don't mean to be repetitive. It's just, I'm kind of preaching to myself right now. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. I think, I mean, I almost, I almost want to, like even say it stronger in that, especially as people that hold privilege in this culture, like we have a responsibility to read the new Jim Crow and just mercy and to internalize that and to deal with the real history of our country. Um, that took me way too many decades to internalize and not And I, I, it's so hard to talk about because I don't want to say it wrong because I, but like I really was kind of unaware um, in where I was raised. I never like intentionally said racist things or did racist things. I'm sure that I have. Um, but learning about the history of what has gone down in this country and the systematic ways that discrimination have played out in our country, I'm sorry, but white Christians need to wake up and they need to do their homework. And that needs to be considered a spiritual discipline as much as reading your Bible for 10 minutes every day, because you are, by, by avoiding these things and not getting uncomfortable, we are not going to change and we are not going to grow and learn and be responsible for some of what we have done. Yeah. I mean, thank, thank you for that, Janelle, because I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's just so, I, I mean, I, I say thank you because I just want to clarify that. Yeah. You know, there are, um, there are, um, there are some things, you know, Ryan, that are just for some people, you know, not everybody's going to become an expert on, <laughs> on these things or be able to focus on it indefinitely, but, but everybody has a responsibility to be attentive to, I think, racist legacies in the United States. I, I mean, and, and globally, right. I think that everybody has to wake up to that a bit um, for sure. The other thing is, you know, I mean, and I, I just, we have to be willing to listen long to one another and work 
creatively with one another because, you know, there are moments and times where I engage this history, where I read it, where I contemplate it, and it brings tears to my eyes, and it just stops me in my tracks, and it makes me, and, and I feel awful. And, and as I said last week, you know, our, our, the experience of guilt can often be a spot where we stop. And it's just, and, and when we feel guilt and then also shame around guilt, it's like can be paralyzing, completely paralyzing. And it's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? You know, I mean, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just stuck, right? And, 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 and I think, you know, honestly, I, I think that there was a lot of that sentiment that was kind of, um, was kind of under the surface, I think, in what dominant white culture was experiencing in implicit and explicit ways during the Obama years <laughs> that led to <laughs> the kind of, the kind of um, political reality that we're, we're now living in and through. I mean, because of this, I, because of these, these feelings of guilt and shame that we don't know what to do with, where, where there's nothing constructive or productive being done about them and or they are completely being ignored. They are being overlooked or, or, or kind of swept on the rug. And so, I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I don't, and here's where I just, I don't have great answers. All I can say is, Let's not get stuck on guilt. Let's not get stuck on shame. Uh, because we, we, there is too much at, at risk. I mean, nuclear war is at, at stake, you know? Um, uh, so much is at stake that requires, that requires unity and diversity. Yeah. So is there a, a womanist approach to ethics? Yes. Yeah. Is that, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this kind of all kind of wraps into my thinking about how ethics could tie into this, into this like philosophical understanding. You know, so is it, let's not concentrate on the shame and the guilt, but you know, what is it that we can do? Cause you were talking about it's a responsibility. And I think that's kind of like, that's kind of an ethical like framework. Like you have to do this to be good or to be bad. I mean, of course it's more complicated, but yeah, it's, I mean, on some level it's, I mean, good and bad don't even matter anymore. It's just like survival. Very true. Yeah. I mean, really like we cannot survive without one another. So but does that, is ethics a waste of time? No, <laughs> because, because ethics demands that we, we have a sense of what we believe and and we are and and we take the time to articulate it, mm -hmm. and we then um, and we then do what we can to uh, make sure our praxis lines up with what we believe. Yeah. Okay. It is um, it is understanding what we ought to do, and then strengthening ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in order to walk in that ought. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we walk into an ought 
that is, again, for the sake of um, not just our individual sur- survival, but our collective survival and thriving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, there are womanist ethics. Um, uh, they, they include um, unshouted grace and, uh, and, um, and unctuousness, um, uh, remembering um, Katie Cannon's um, retrieving some of these virtues from the work of Zora Neale Hurston, um, unshouted courage, excuse me. But, but, but then too, um, what Emily Towns does in uh, Womanist Ethics and the Cultural Production of Evil is speaks to the ethic of dismantling evil and dismantling evil after describing its systemic reality. Right? So the ways that it lives in and through what she calls the fantastic hegemonic imagination, fantastic um, being that which is the kind of repetition of seeing planes go into the uh, twin towers, but also repetition of seeing the video of uh, Sandra Bland um, being um, uh, being arrested, mm-hmm. um, or or of seeing one of um, one of the young young men like Stephen Clark, um, or um, or oh, there's so many. Yeah, being being shot down. Mm-hmm. The ways that these images, um, these videos, have uh, cycle through and through and through and over and over and over again. It's part of the fantastic. Uh, the fantastic is also exemplified uh, for towns in um, in stereotypes that live on and on and on of the Jezebel, the Sapphire, the Mammy, right. Um, and 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 so um, these these fantastic images and uh, replications in Baudrillard's terms, this uh, simulacra um, that just continues on and on, um, hegemonic being these images, these fantastic um, images, stereotypes, videos, um, uh, audiovisual encounters that serve the purpose of oppression of exploitation of repression imagination being that which is is cultivated sometimes in the service of the stereotype of the myth of myths that um, separate us from one another instead of helping us to see one another as as persons in in our full dignity so when she speaks of the fantastic hegemonic imagination as as a part of what needs to be pulled down, dismantled. She is speaking of an ethic that first describes the injustice, the evil, dismantles the evil, and then reconstructs something that's bigger, that's based in a different kind of memory, a memory that has engaged the kinds of histories that we've discussed here, of the Middle Passage, of transatlantic slave trade, of survival post-plantation. Right? And, and once we recover those memories and recover the memories of how... People were accomplices all the way along. How there were people who were fighting, um, like Wilberforce, right? In their all in their own ways, were were, were accomplices all the way. Um, the, the, once we once we do that, 
that is part of that is part of the womanist ethic, which includes then a new imagination, an imagination that retrieves a history of fighting for justice, uh, that includes a future of continuing struggles for justice, um, that um, includes a fantastic that is not based in theme parks, to use Towns' terms, but, but is rather a fantastic um, that is about um, the freedom of all and, and justice for all people. That's womanist ethics for now. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, sounds good, though. I like it. Uh, we want to thank you so much for your time. And I know you have a few resources here, so we'll put them in the show notes. But for the listeners, uh, what are these three books that you have yeah. recommended to our community? So the, these three books are um, are interesting and important. And, uh, and they're what I consider um, uh, womanist texts um, insofar as they... Um, they reflect certain womanist virtues. Um, certainly Tracy Hux is, uh, is womanist uh, uh, by identity, identity, if you will, but also in practice and methodology. And, um, and I, I, I don't think it would be too, uh, too presumptuous to say that Rosemary um, Freeney Harding and, and Rachel Harding would fall into a similar, a, a similar space, if you will. Um, Sarah Lewis, on the other hand, uh, might um, might not claim the term, and uh, and and so um, I wouldn't want to impose it on her. Um, but um, I have included Remnants um, by Rosemary Harding, uh, Freeney Harding, and Rachel Harding um, because of the ways that that text invites us to listen for beloved community, and especially in and through. The story, um, the stories of um, Rosemary Freeney Harding's genealogy lineage, um, both biological and spiritual lineage and genealogy, and and so for those who are trying to learn how to do womanist listening, that first part, the the hearing the voices, um, that's a text. That um, that that tells those stories and that invites um, us into that kind of a listening process and the methodology with which it was written—a mother interviewing, uh, excuse me, a daughter interviewing her mother and a co-writing of it—embodies <clears throat> the womanist principle of 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 mothering and and daughtering, if you will, uh, and the ways that that becomes. Um, an ethic uh, and 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 an embodied one in this way, and of course harkens back to uh, the beloved community, which uh, was so important to um, Dr. Vincent Harding, and and of course um, most famously um, Martin Luther King. In addition to listening for beloved community, because this is part of what I I I would kind of isolate as um, also terms in in terms of womanist ethics. Uh, and that queer frontier. Um, so listening for beloved community and then loving radical blackness. Tracy Hux in Yoruba tradition and African-American religious nationalism um, just recovers um, the, the ways that in African indigenous religious tradition have been a part of 
black community formation and development um, within and beyond the United States, but especially in communities in the United States and, and helps to, um, to clarify how important um, radical black tradition has been in, uh, in the United States and as a part of our religious formation and, um, and, and to clarify how, um, how this is, this is, this is part of what, what must be affirmed in the process of um, cultivating womanist ethics and, and queer ethics, if you will, also. And then The Rise that, uh, is a book uh, by Sarah Lewis, which is a really fun read and, um, and combines anecdotes from various experiences of failure uh, that just helps along the way in the task. Um, we all fail, and nothing beats a fail but a try, as um, as one of my uh, church members in White Plains' uh, mother would say, and she would repeat, "Nothing beats a fail but a try." And uh, and 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 this this colloquialism reminds us that yeah, we do all fail. We we do all um, mess up and fall short. Um, yet uh, the grit that's described in the rise that Sarah Lewis picks up on is the stuff that our best future is made of. And so these texts together and these three virtues, if you will, together, listening for beloved community, loving radical blackness, and remembering that nothing beats a fail but a try are part of the queer frontier of womanist ethics and, and of womanism in, 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 in my thinking. So what are you working on now at I Love? Um, well, right now um, I'm writing, uh, I really hope it's done soon, um, <laughs> From Black to Queer and Then to Wear, um, Theories of Justice and Black Sexual Ethics. And this text is really intended um, to clarify the relationship between theories of justice and the ways that black experiences of sexuality and the very unique circumstances around black experiences of sexual orientation and, and praxis and gender identity and, and praxis or expression really need to inform new ways of theorizing around justice. When I speak of different frameworks for moral reasoning or different ways of, um, of appealing to or doing justice, um, my belief is that these really do change when we take black sexuality seriously. Mm. So that's what I'm working on. Yeah, well, we want to thank Dr. Jennifer Leith from Isla School of Theology, not only for being here tonight, but also for being with our Denver Brew Theology community. And we hope that all the other Brew Theology communities and those who will start one soon. Yes. Yes. Uh, enjoy Piper. this episode, Kyle. including, including the, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Alan Piper in Tallahassee. So if you like this episode or any of our episodes, please just do us a big favor. You can go to iTunes and you can rate this. Hopefully it's a good rating and review it. And then you share it online. It's easy. It's Facebook. We're at Brew Theology. Also at Twitter at Brew underscore Theology, along with Instagram. So maybe you take your, you know, a picture of yourself with a selfie listening to the podcast. And that's how you do the Drinking Instagram. a beer. And drinking a want. beer. Or reading one of these books. Yes. There you go. That'd be awesome. All right. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.